Our gospel lesson for today, the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. Jesus says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those tenants, those wretches, to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people that produces the fruit of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking against them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The gospel of the Lord. People of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Over the course of the last couple of years, there is a Broadway show that has really, really captured the imagination, not only here in our country, but kind of around the world. You might know the one that I'm thinking of. Now, the name of this show is Hamilton. And Hamilton takes a look at the, the, the Revolutionary War, as well as the earliest days of our nation. And it's through the perspective of Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers. And though it focuses in on his perspective, mainly this one guy, it really features a lot of those different events and the kind of larger scale uh, events around, as I said, the revolution and the earliest days of our republic. Now, it's a wonderful show. It's incredible. And as I said, it, it swept the nation. It's wildly popular. Tickets are super expensive, and they continue to be. But we caught a break, those of us who enjoy musical theater. Because earlier this summer, back coming into the 4th of July, Disney Plus actually had the rights to it. They had filmed several live performances, and they put it online to be streamed, to be watched, so folks could watch it. And let me tell you something. It is worth the three hours that it takes to watch. And in addition, if you don't have Disney Plus, but you still are curious about the music and would like to be exposed to that, if you happen to have Amazon Prime, you can find the soundtrack to it on there. And let me tell you folks, this probably will come as no great shock to you, but I've watched the show several times over and I have listened to the music over and over and over again, and it is wonderful. Now, it is a combination of many different styles of music, but mainly focusing around uh, the different styles of hip-hop and rap and even spoken word to focus in on these events. And folks, it's incredible. 
And I have listened to it and I've watched it enough that I'm starting to pick up some of the raps. I can even do a few of them. And folks, this might end up getting cut out of the video, but it's fascinating and I'm gonna do one for you right now. And it talks about the Battle of Yorktown, which if you're familiar with the history was the last major battle that led to the surrender of the British. It didn't end the war, but it was kind of the last big one. And it kind of goes, it starts off like this. I remember death so much, it feels more like a memory. This is where it gets me. On my feet, the enemy ahead of me. If this is the end of me, at least I have a friend with me. Weapon in my hand, a command, and my men with me. Then I remember my allies is expecting me. Not only that, my allies is expecting. We gotta go, gotta get the job done. Gotta start a new nation, gotta meet my son. Take the bullets out your gun, the bullets out your gun. We move undercover and we move as one. Through the night, we have one shot to live another day. We cannot let a straight gunshot give us away. We will fight up close, choose the moment and stay in it. It's either that or meet the business end of a bayonet. The code word is Rochambeau. Dig me Rochambeau. You have your orders now. Go, man, go. Okay, folks, hopefully YouTube leaves that in there. If it doesn't and there's a gap in there, it's because I did something that was probably copyrighted. That's a wonderful little thing, a wonderful little song. It's one of the major ones. It's basically my favorite one, obviously, because I just rapped it. Now, I don't bring that up for the sheer sake of, of being able to rap for you though I do enjoy that, but more so because I want to think about this idea of the way we remember the events around specifically the Revolutionary War and the start of our nation. Now, we tend to think back and think it's a good thing, right? That we rose up against tyranny. We rose up against another nation from across the ocean that, that taxed us relentlessly, that gave us no representation. I mean, you know all these things from your, from your history classes, but we think of it as a good thing, right? And that we stood up against them and we were the scrappy underdog against the more powerful British army and eventually we won and we won our freedom and we started our nation. We know how it works. We think back with fondness. But folks, I got to thinking about that. And as much as I love the show, and as entertaining as it is, and as much as I appreciate our history and the beginning of our nation, I can't help but think of things from the opposite direction. Because we, as the colonies, or the earliest states, whatever we wanna call ourselves, what else could we be other than tenants who have been given not ownership, but have been given the opportunity to farm and to make a living on this land, these colonies, which belong to someone else? I can only think of King George, if, if I'm remembering the right king, he must have been the ultimate landowner who allowed the colonies to utilize this land, but he expected taxes, he expected compensation in return. And doesn't that kind of sound like this parable that Jesus has shared with us today? Jesus has been telling several parables. If you've been tuning in the last several weeks, we actually have had a couple of different parables, and now this one, that talk about a vineyard and it compares things to the kingdom of God with a vineyard. Well, let me start by saying that anytime we hear about a vineyard, that is a direct metaphor for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, as Jesus calls it here. But it's interesting as we consider this one. The last couple Jesus has talked about workers in the vineyard or a way that a father who owns a vineyard sends his son and their reaction. That's what we had last week. We've had a couple different things. And now Jesus says, let me tell you another parable. Listen to this one. And he tells us this story about a landowner who creates a vineyard, he plants a vineyard, he, he makes the wall around it, he owns the property, and then he leases it to people to do the work, and he goes off traveling. He goes off to another country. And they do the work, they grow the produce, but when it's harvest time, as landowner, he's entitled to a portion. And so he sends some of his servants, hey, go collect the portion from those tenants. 
But instead of doing what they're supposed to do, they're like, no, we did the work, we're going to keep it. So they beat up the servants and they throw them out. So he sends a few more. Same result. They even kill a couple of them this time. And since they've ignored him twice, since they've disrespected him twice, now he's going to go an even stronger show of force, an even stronger representation of his authority. He says, I'm going to send my son. They'll respect my son. So he sends a son off to collect the rent, to collect the produce, whatever we want to call it. And the tenants see him and they say, there's the son. He's the heir. Let's kill him and we'll get the inheritance. Now, folks, it probably goes without saying that's not the way inheritance works. If you kill the heir, that doesn't automatically mean you get it. But as I think about this, as I think about this story, and as I think about comparing it with the Revolutionary War, which is how we started this whole thing in the first place, it reminds me that this is evidence of, what, of the way that I think the world tends to work and the way the world tends to think. And that's an expression I think that's pretty universal to humanity. As far back as we can find records that tell the stories of, of humanity, of, of cultures or of groups or anything, as far back as we can go, there's kind of one story that's pretty universal. Some of you have maybe heard me talk about this before. This story basically is summed up in the, in, in, to say the following. Our way is the best. Our, our place is the best. Our way of doing things is the best. Our God is the best. And you can be part of us. You can join us. Please do, or we'll kill you. It boils down to the idea of might makes right. Of those who are strongest get to set the rules. Of those who have the, the power, to, they can take what they want. They can do what they want. Survival of the fittest, whatever thing we want to call it. But it's that same old story, and that seems to be the way the tenants in our story think today. We did the work. We have it. We're stronger than they are. We're just going to keep it. We don't recognize a different authority. We don't care what he thinks. It's ours. We're going to keep it, and we're willing to kill for it. We're even willing to kill his son for it. As I consider all of this, as we think about all of this, and we remember this is a parable, it's, it's intended by Jesus to reveal a truth about life in the kingdom or about life in general. I think it's important that we notice one thing. Now, Jesus does talk about the kingdom of God later on in the story after he's had this back and forth, after he asks his opponents, what do you think the landowner is going to do with those, those evil tenants? And they say, well, he's probably going to throw them out or he's going to have them killed. It's not going to end well for them. And Jesus is like, yeah, the kingdom of heaven will be taken away and given to those who produce fruit. What I noticed about the parable this time is Jesus doesn't open it in the way he oftentimes does. A lot of times when he starts a parable, he says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like this. And then he tells the story to illustrate a point. Now, parables always kind of do the same, the same thing. They're trying to reveal a truth, a certain truth. They open our eyes through metaphor. We can't fully understand. We can't fully grasp the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God and what it's going to ultimately be like. But we're given these little glimpses. Now, this one I think is different. I can't help but think and notice that Jesus doesn't start by saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. Rather, he tells a story that I think illustrates this common human truth that we've already talked about. Survival of the fittest. Might makes right. If you want it, take it. It's everything exists for you. If you're strong enough and you can take it. I think Jesus is pointing out this is the way the world works. But that's not the way the kingdom of heaven works. In fact, he says it. For those who seem to follow that, the kingdom will be taken away from them and given to those who produce the fruit. 
Well, what is the fruit that's to be produced? That's always the million dollar question. And we hear about this in scriptures a lot. What is this fruit that we want to, to, to be a part of, to produce, to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? And oftentimes when we think about it, I can only think that producing fruit is to recognize, to live our lives in a way and to proclaim the truth of the promises that Jesus continues to proclaim to us. Over and over and over again, we continue to hear and see the ministry of Jesus revealing the truth that God loves you, God claims you, God is on the part of the marginalized, God is not on the part of those who go, might makes right. That seems to be the case, and perhaps all we are called to do is, is believe it, believe the truth of God's proclaim upon each of us, and then to proclaim that to the world. Maybe that's what we're called to do. Maybe that's what bearing fruit for the kingdom of God looks like. Now, there's one other aspect in this parable today that catches my attention, and I think it's worth noting. And it goes back to what happens when the landowner sends his son. He sends the heir. The, the tenants recognize him as the heir. And folks, I can't help but think that this one's a pretty direct parallel for Jesus to be talking about God and, and himself, Jesus, the son of God. I mean, Sometimes things are pretty thinly veiled. That one seems pretty on the nose. The son is sent. The son is not recognized. The son is killed. Or the son is recognized, I should say. The son is recognized as heir, and then he's killed, thinking, we'll get the inheritance. Well, as we already said, that's not how the inheritance works. Inheritance must be given. It cannot be taken. But the, the distinction that they use in calling him the heir, that's important. Because yes, folks, Jesus is the heir. And we find that in his own baptism. When Jesus was baptized, God, the Father, the voice said, this is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The claim of Jesus as beloved son is right there and it's found in the context of baptism. And folks, here's the thing. We can't steal, we can't take the inheritance, but it can be given and we receive the promise the promises of scripture, the promises of the gospel is that we are made fellow heirs with Christ of that same promise. We are claimed by God in the same way. You are my beloved child. And it happens, well, first of all, it happens whenever God wants to. God claims whoever God chooses. But we profess the faith, the promise that we've been given that it also happens in the waters of baptism. Just like Jesus was baptized and God's claim was upon him in that, when we are baptized in that same baptism, we join with Jesus in a baptism like his. We join with him eventually in a death like his, and we will join with him in a resurrection like his because we are fellow heirs of the same promise. That's the truth of the gospel. And proclaiming that is maybe, just maybe, one of those fruits that Jesus is talking about being produced in the vineyard that is the kingdom of God. Now, I bring all of this up because perhaps it goes without saying that today at our outdoor, we got not just one, but two baptisms. And what I love about this particular instance is these children that we'll be baptizing, they're a little bit older. Oftentimes we baptize as babies and that's wonderful and I love doing that too. But folks, I love it when we baptize someone who's a little bit older, someone who's got a little bit of recognition so I can look them in the eyes and say, you are claimed by God. The one who made all of this, the divine creator, the force behind it, the being, whatever we, however we think of God, the one who made all of this, took a look at all of this and said, I think it needs one of you. And then not only that, but God claims you. You are my beloved child. I love you. Your place begins from a place of delight and joy in that of your maker. And your maker claims you as beloved child. 
And I get to announce that to these two wonderful children. And that's something that they can hold on to that will be tangible for them in the years to come. This tangible reminder of the promise that God has made through Christ on their behalf. And folks, it's the same for you. This promise of the gospel says, it it promises us, it reminds us, it tells us over and over again that God looks at you and says, you are mine. May we hold on to that promise today and every day. And may we share that with the world so that it might produce fruit and more and more and more of the world may know the truth of God's love for them. Amen.